live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host Charlotte Hancock and today sitting in for Brent Cohen who uh, actually has strep throat. Everybody wash your hands. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't share that on air. (laughs) Um, Is our senior press associate Emily Leach for her radio debut. Emily, thank you for co-hosting with me. Thanks Charlotte. I'm excited to be here. Um, And uh, we also have some great guests in studio today. Uh, Juan Manuel Guzman from United We Dream, um, and also uh, Claudia Flores from the Center for American Progress. Thank you both so much for joining us in studio today. Thanks to you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, and so today we have a, a show about a really, a really big moment coming up um, in the Supreme Court for lots of people who uh, live in this country, call this country home, have called this country home for uh, almost their entire lives. Um In less than two weeks, on November 12th, the Supreme Court will hear a case on the Trump administration's decision to determinate the DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which allowed people who came to the U.S. as young children to stay and work in the only country they've ever really known. Um, And as we record this today, uh, as we were recording this, just Right now, a group of DACA recipients known as uh, DREAMers um, and temporary protected status holders and also allies are traveling 230 miles on foot from New York City to Washington, D.C. as part of the Home is Here march, which is being led by the National Korean American Services and Education Consortium to draw attention to this case and to the need to protect the rights of undocumented people in this country. Um, so talk to, so to talk to us about the Home is Here campaign uh, and the upcoming Supreme Court case. We're joined today by Juan Manuel Guzman, the advocacy and policy manager from United We Dream, and Claudia Flores, the immigration campaign manager at the Center for American Progress. And we're really glad to have you guys here. So um, I think we'll just jump right in. Um, I I wanted to give people a little bit of a background about how you guys came to this work, um, the places uh, that you guys work. So to start us off, uh, Juan Manuel, can you share a bit about the mission and purpose of United We Dream, where you work, and how you came to this space? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, United We Dream started um, basically about 10 years ago, um, and it was mainly uh, in its beginnings, it was about education, it was about um, passing the DREAM Act. Um, but as the movement grow, grew and as the movement evolved, we realized that it's not just about access to papers, but it like all these things are rooted in really deep uh, social uh, inequalities, like racial justice issues. So it evolved, and nowadays our vision is creating a space, a world where immigrants, people of color, uh, everyone Uh, has an opportunity, has a shot, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, And then uh, what does your role as advocacy and policy director of United We Dream entail? Yeah, um, uh, to be precise, I'm the advocacy policy manager there. So I basically work with a lot of groups of immigrant youth from across the country, and I work with them in their state and local policies. I think um, we didn't see it before that local and state governments are so key, so important for the well-being of immigrant families. So I I work with them. Great, great. Um, And Claudia, uh, what's your role on the immigration team um, at the Center for American Progress? 
Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> uh, so the Center for American Progress, for those that have been you know, listening to us in the past, we are a nonpartisan think tank based in Washington, D.C. Uh, we advance progressive policies that we hope will impact uh, people's daily lives. Um, and as we like to say here, we're not trying to just advance policies that would transform um, the, uh, you know, the progressive space, but also the entire nation as a whole. Um, so we have been working um, for many years now. CAP has been providing the latest data and resources specific uh, to not just the DACA program, but also, um, you know, for individuals that have been residing in the United States for many decades. Uh, so CAP has uh, for many, many years uh, worked alongside the coalition um, in, you know, protecting immigrant families, but also advancing policy ideas that would create a more fair, fair and just immigration system. Great. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so before we dive a little bit more into what's going on right now with the Home is Here campaign um, and with the Supreme Court case, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more of a background on how we got to this point and um, what's been going on in the immigration space recently. Totally. Um, so as it was mentioned, so on November 12th, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be hearing oral arguments on three cases. Uh, these cases were filed um, around after 2017 when the Trump administration ended the DACA program. Um, and the U.S. government took the extraordinary steps of appealing to the Supreme Court before the Court of Appeals had made final judgment on three of the litigations. Um, and now the court um, in June of this year decided to take the um, the government's petition. Um, so what is going on is that on November 12th, there's going to be uh, three cases that have been consolidated. They're going to be arguing for one hour, um, and the court should decide no later than June of next year whether or not the Trump administration's uh, termination of the DACA program was lawful. Um, so far, there have been federal injunctions uh, nationwide that have allowed DACA recipients to continue to renew um, mm -hmm. their protections under the program. However, we note that a decision from the court could determine whether those renewals remain open, whether new people can apply to the program. As you know, in its current form, there are no new first-time applicants that can come into the program. Um, and we do have data showing that close to 100,000 high school students undocumented youth are graduating every year uh, from high schools across the country. So um, if you want to talk about what's at stake, I mean, we're talking about the livelihood of right now currently almost 700,000 people who are enrolled in the program, but also those who would be eligible if the program were to to open and operate like it was intended to uh, since it was, um, you know, incepted in, in 2012. So um, there is a lot of stake um, in the, you know, Supreme Court will hear uh, from, um, you know, the lawyers that will be arguing on behalf of DACA recipients, uh, and we will be marching and rallying outside the court on that morning. So I don't want to ask for justification or rationale behind um, pretty much anything uh, that Trump or the Trump administration mm -hmm. have done, because uh, I think so often we find that there isn't something good or that the uh, it's grounded in something so heinous and so despicable, despicable that we don't really want to believe that this is something that's like in charge in our country or leading our country, right? Um, but I, I want to try to figure out here a little bit, like, how did how did Trump even think he had legal grounds to begin with? Like, what was his excuse for um, bringing this up? So it, it's interesting. The Trump administration has essentially, um, 
you know, uh, said that, you know, um, that President Obama did not have the authority to create DACA, uh, yet they're using that same argument to say, well, we did have the authority to end it. So they've essentially <laughs> contradicted themselves. So that is what? actually going to be at the center of, of the arguments, right? What, you know, what power does the executive have? Um, you know, there are certain, um, you know, rules that they have to follow. They can't simply, like, terminate these programs and disrupt the lives of, you know, in this case, almost a million people. Um, so there's a lot of stake here, um, you know, in terms of rationale, as we've seen from the Trump administration, you know, with the ending of programs like temporary protective status and other forms of protection for longtime community residents. I mean, the, the main goal has been to create disruption and chaos. And, you know, that is not how the government should function. Um, that, you know, creates a lot of real threats for the people that are directly impacted, but also for communities across the country that, you know, not just benefit economically from, you know, DACA recipients, but, you know, who are, for instance, in mixed status families uh, with DACA recipients. Uh, we know that there's almost, um, you know, 300,000 children, uh, U.S. citizen children who have a parent protected under DACA. So, you know, the stakes of the program and what the court is going to be deciding on go beyond just the beneficiaries themselves, but also their families and communities. Absolutely. Um, Juan Manuel, do you have anything that you really want to add or you want to make sure that we touch on here? I think um, for us, what we have seen, this is obviously DACA is one issue out of a lot of things that has been happening. Mm -hmm. The Trump administration, or Trump as a candidate, uh, he used uh, immigrants, he used Muslims, he used, uh, you know, everything that he could to rile up his base and basically put on the blame of structural inequalities into immigrants and people of color. Like, and he used this excuses to end programs and to pass, po I mean, to, you know, execute policies like this, separation of families, like it was so horrible, the zero tolerance policies. So DACA is one of many things that the Trump administration has been doing to undermine protections for people, um, to take away those protections and, you know, endangering their lives. And he is using this as leverage for things that he wants. So we have to make clear that in, in all this context of DACA in um, what's happening in the country, we have to think about that DACA is one piece of our larger agenda from the Trump administration. Absolutely. I think that's so, so true. It's, um, it's a pattern, you know, this is just one piece of something uh, that Trump and um, his administration is doing um, to uh, cause harm to um, specifically immigrants, but even more specifically, black and brown immigrants, immigrants mm -hmm. of color, you know, um, it's, it's very interesting, um, and no coincidence, uh, the communities that he seems to really be targeting, precision targeting, with um, with some of the, uh, the, the grounds that he's um, pulling out here. So uh, we are talking here in studio with Juan Manuel Guzman uh, from United We Dream and uh, Claudia Flores from the Center for American Progress. You are listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we will be right back after this break. Host and today standing in for Brent J. Cohen, we have our senior press associate Emily Leach. Hi. 
Uh, Emily, thank you for co-hosting with me today. Um, and here in studio, we also have um, Juan Manuel Guzman from United We Dream. Um, Juan Manuel, thank you for being with us in the studio today. Thanks, you. Um, and we also have Claudia Flores from the Center for American Progress, and she's the immigration campaign manager there. Uh, Claudia, thanks so much for being with us in studio. Thank you, guys. Um, and today we're talking about um, a super important um, Supreme Court case that's coming up in uh, just a couple of weeks, um, the results of which will um, impact the lives of um, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so it's a it's a big one. Um, and we're talking about the Supreme Court case that will uh, determine whether or not the DACA ruling um, uh, has any legal grounds um, based on, or determine whether or not the Trump administration's ruling on the DACA, um, on DACA legislation has any legal grounds. Um, so Claudia, uh, at a high level, what do we know about the DACA case that will be taken up by the Supreme Court on November 12th? So there's a couple of things. I think, you know, we are standing on pretty strong legal grounds. Uh, we know that there's been now three federal judges that have ruled that the Trump administration's, um, you know, the way they ended the program was unlawful. Um, so we are hopeful um, that, you know, the Supreme Court does not fall into doing uh, the dirty work for Trump and that it does, in fact, um, reiterate what federal judges have said across the country, which is that they ended the program unlawfully. Um, and, yeah, you know, we are you know, closely monitoring. I think uh, at the end of the day, we'll have to, you know, face what seems to be a conservative majority uh, court. Um, this has been one of the big impacts of the Trump administration, right, when it comes to judges. Um, but uh, we are hopeful that, you know, the merits of the case itself, I mean, the impact that it would have across the country and across communities. I mean, I've mentioned that, you know, there's nearly 300,000 U.S.-born children that have at least one parent who is protected under the program, uh, but also across the country, there's 1.5 million people that live in a household with a DACA beneficiary. So you can only imagine, you know, in addition to the full list of things that the administration is doing against immigrant families in this country, I mean, this will be sort of the next family separation crisis in the making if, if you were to, in fact, you know, go after detaining and deporting uh, DACA beneficiaries. Um, so there is a lot at stake, um, but we are hopeful that the judges will not fall into the administration's trap um, and instead uphold a rule of law and make sure that... Um, um, you know, this program uh, remains. Yeah. Um, I mean, thinking about kind of the impacts of all of the stories um, of the people that y you just mentioned, um, Juan, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, I know that United We Dream is sharing the stories of um, 27 different DACA recipients in both written and video form in an amicus brief for yeah. the Supreme Court. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that and what you guys are hoping to accomplish with that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the amicus brief that we just filed. Um, it's very particular. Like, uh, United We Dream has done amicus briefs before that has been and has have always been centered on people. Amicus briefs usually are very, you know, legal lace, if you will. Like, mm -hmm. if you will, like, they're very centered on arguments that are very legal um, in nature, but sort really of technical. And technical, yeah. 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 And, and they are boring. <laughs> <laughs> if you but we want we wanted to give a little bit of um, you know of of life to to this amicus brief, and uh, the idea was to include the stories, make it centered on people's stories. Not only that, but also adding a link 
to whoever is going to be reading, uh, probably a Supreme uh, Court clerk or the justices, right? Like reading this through in their computers and they will be able to click on the link and they will be able to see the faces and the lives of people who are going to be affected by their decisions. So you can go to homeishere.us. You will see some of those videos uh, that are right now. They are amazingly beautiful. Um, and and again, like this amicus brief that United Wujum has worked on, it is very centered on the lives and centered on, on the humanity of people rather than that technical aspect that, I mean, many other organizations are, are, are right now putting their opinions on. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's huge. I mean, as you're saying, like, this is not just policy, right? This is people's lives at stake. Um, there's lots of people's lives at stake. Um, and I think that's huge um, that we sort of treat this um, as uh, something that is, um, I mean, not not just a, a, a legal argument, but like a moral argument here, mm-hmm. right? Abs- I mean, absolutely. And, and I think the idea is that... Um, for people who are in the legal um, in the in the legal field, I think they concentrate way too much, right? Like they will concentrate a lot on the technical aspects of DACA mm-hmm. and the way the president ended the program. But also, what about the lives of people? What about like what they have been doing so far? There's a lot of people going to school. There's a lot of people working. There's people with uh, that have plans. People want to buy their houses. Like people are just trying to make a living. And their decision is not based only on legal grounds. It has to be also based on on those and how those decisions are going to affect the lives of nearly 700,000 people. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, so Claudia, thinking about the current makeup of the court, as you mentioned earlier, um, the Trump administration has uh, really stacked the courts in their favor. Um, I mean, not just the Supreme Court, courts around the country have been stacked with conservative judges. So many of these lifetime appointments, um, it's really something that we're going to be contending with for decades to come, unfortunately, some of the ramifications of this. But in the Supreme Court in particular, uh, which justices could be critical to convince? Who could this come down to? I mean, at this point, every single one. I mean, um, you know, uh, we are going to have to make the case to each one. Um, I think it's a very good way to think about the court as every single judge being a court itself. Um, Obviously, we know that, um, you know, there are some judges. I'm sorry, Claudia, I'm going to have to cut you off, and we'll be right back after this break. Marshall Show. I'm your co-host Emily Leach. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And today we're talking with Juan Manuel Guzman, the Advocacy and Policy Manager for United We Dream, and Claudia Flores from the Center for American Progress. So Claudia, um, I just wanted to uh, bring us back by talking about, you know, we've heard what's at stake for the, with the Supreme Court case, but um, what can folks do now and, um, you know, how specifically can, can DACA recipients get involved? 
Yeah, so, you know, one of the main things right now that we're creating awareness about is um, the need for renewals. Um, so for allies, uh, we really want folks to support renewal applications. Um, the fees are close to $500. It's $495 for each application. So that's a huge amount uh, for young people. Um, so we are encouraging folks to donate to the uh, renewal fund. Um, and then for DACA recipients themselves, you know, we are suggesting that folks, you know, look at their legal options, you know, go to screenings. There's right now a lot of information out there to support renewals. And, you know, we're hoping that folks are renewal their permits if they're eligible to do so. Um, there is a campaign website called homeishere.us. Um, we're hoping that folks are visiting that to find ways to plug in. Um, and then CAP has a lot of resources on DACA. Uh, we have created a website that's americanprogress.org slash DACA. Uh, we have all our data there. Um, and we also have the latest uh, data monitoring DACA renewal status. We know that between now and when the decision is anticipated between, you know, no later than June of next year, we have about 157,000 DACA recipients who have expiring work permits. So that just gives you a sense of the magnitude of uh, how many renewals need to be processed between now and when a decision is anticipated. Uh, so we're calling on folks to renew. We're calling on folks who are in D.C. can join us outside the Supreme Court. Um, and I know Juan Manuel United with Dream has uh, been working with the coalition on a lot of activities that folks can plug in, and he's probably going to be sharing some of these today. Awesome. Yeah, $500. Sorry, I just want to go back to that real fast. $500. And uh, to, to sort of reiterate, like, if, you, if you're if you a DACA recipient, you are by definition a millennial. Like, these are all young people. The legislation was created um, around, uh, it was created in such a way that only a certain demographic of young people living in America right now have access to this. So this is not people who are well-established. Um, and, you know, you, pr you probably hear a lot about millennials uh, struggling to buy a car, start families, that sort of thing anyway. Um, a $500 fee slapped on top of that with somebody who might be working in the gig economy me, um, as many millennials, many of us are, um, not easy. <laughs> really not easy. Lots of barriers. Yeah, definitely not easy. And I think, um, you know, folks that are not in the program need to also understand that, you know, for, for DACA recipients, you know, in a way, it's a big consideration in terms of the, the time of protection that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, because once USCIS adjudicates your work permit, you know, your timing, your two-year permit is based on, on that date. Um, so, you know, while we're encouraging folks to renew early, we also understand that, you know, DACA recipients then have to, you know, be, you know, facing the, the consequence that maybe they will have less time that if they wait closer to that to that end. Um, so it is a decision that they need to assess, uh, but it's also a uh, almost preemptive decision that I think we're encouraging folks to consider, especially if they have permits expiring this year, because we do know that it takes at least several months to process a, a DACA um, um, renewal application. Um, so there's a lot of stake, you know, the cost, the timing, and also the resources, you know, trying to get people the right information that they need at the right time. Um, so Claudia, I know you're only with us for just a few more minutes here. Um, for our last question before um, you head out, um, I really want to drill down a little bit more, like who is going to be most impacted um, by this decision? I mean, I think at the heart of this decision, DACA recipients themselves, I mean, this has been a program that since 2012, I mean, CAP has been tracking the impacts and, you know, they've been tremendous. Um, you know, we have a survey that we've done in partnership with NILC and United We Dream every year. Um, and, you know, every day, you know, uh, dreamers and DACA recipients themselves, you know, fear uh, their sense of stability, uh, their livelihoods are at stake. Uh, and then for LGBTQ dreamers, I think, um, you know, DACA has been, you know, from, 
you know, discussions we've had with folks and some other research, I mean, it's been, um, you know, as they share, you know, it's, it's, it's coming out of the closet twice, right? It's, it's really coming out of the shadows in so many ways and, and finding their identity. So, you know, their sense of safety um, is really at stake. Um, and return to some of these countries that were there, you know, just on the basis of, of sexual orientation, gender identity, and, and, you know, their identities itself, like, you know, they would run into real risk and, 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 and all be threatened. So there's a lot of stake for DACA beneficiaries. For children, like I mentioned, you know, nearly a quarter million children that have DACA recipients, um, who well, one of their parents who's a DACA recipient, uh, and then for 1.5 million households across the country, um, and then you know our economic, you know our economy would be uh, will be impacted heavily. Um, so there is an impact for the nation, uh, but especially for immigrants, you know, and, and immigrant families that are you know feeling the the real chilling effects of Trump's policies. I think this this is a huge awaited case and. That's why we need all the support. Um, and you know, if you are listening, uh, we need you to be calling. You know, to you know, uh, you know, call your members of Congress, remind them that you're standing with Dreamers. You know, show up to the court on November 12. You know, show up to rallies and marches in your communities, um, and check out homeishere.us to find ways that you can take action. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, that was Claudia Flores from the Center for American Progress. Uh, she's their immigration campaign manager. Um, Claudia has to head out now, but we will be right back after this commercial break um, with a little bit more from our other guest, uh, Juan, Manuel, Juan Manuel Guzman from United We Dream. We are talking about um, all things um, immigration policy uh, this fall, the Supreme Court case um, coming up on DACA, and also the Home is Here campaign. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the young people who've been marching from New York to D.C. Um, all the way down to the Supreme Court over the past couple of weeks. Um, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Charlotte Hancock, and joining me uh, today as my co-host, we have our senior press associate, Emily Leach, sitting in. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Emily, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. Um, And we also have a a great guest here in studio. Um, We're joined today by Juan Manuel Manuel Guzman from United We Dream. He is their advocacy and policy manager. Thanks for being here. Thanks to you. (laughs) Um, So we talked a little bit uh, just before the break about um, this, like, awesome group of people who are Mm -hmm. marching from New York City um, and stopping in cities all the way down on the way to Washington, D.C., with their final destination being where in the city? The final destination, the Supreme Court. Yeah, okay. And so can you tell us a little bit more about... uh, who are these marchers? I know United We Dream is supporting the march. It's led by the mm-hmm. National Korean American Service and Education Consortium. Um, what's the significance of walking all the way from New York City to Washington D.C. and um, who, like, who, who are we talking about? Yeah, like, um, it's basically it's making a statement, right? Um, it's making a statement and calling the attention to this very important issue. Um, 200, as you said, 200 uh, DACA recipients, allies, um, and, and other uh, affected people are marching from New York. And uh, basically, they are visiting communities and letting them know this is happening. They have stops in different cities. Uh, it's going to be about 16 to 18 days. Uh, I believe they will be arriving November 11th. Um, 
to Washington, D.C., and they will be, uh, or to Baltimore, and they will be arriving to Washington, D.C., November 12. Um, it's a very important uh, statement from people affected and being able to, you know, take this message, at least in uh, a few a few cities of this country. Um, I have friends who are there, who are marching, and, and, and you see, when I see their posts on social media, uh, you can see that it. I mean, it's difficult. It's raining. It's cold, and but they have the spirit and they have, you know, that willingness to keep on going despite of how hard the road is. So this is all part of uh, the Home Is Here campaign, right? Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the goals of the Home Is Here campaign more generally? Yeah, so the Home is Here campaign, well, it's a coalition, right, of Got different it. organizations yeah. like Forward. Doc, uh, I mean, Forward, um, we have CAP, NACASEG, United We Dream, uh, Make the Road, New York. Um, so it's Generation a, Progress also. Generation Progress. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's, it's a coalition of organizations uh, that decided to join forces to bring attention national attention to the issue of DACA at the Supreme Court. And there's a series of events. There's a series of rallies. For example, like we're going to have on November 8th, for example, there's going to be walkouts here in in the Washington, D.C. area and in Texas. Um, Then we are going to have like there is I know that there's digital Twitch storms. There's going to be a bunch of of events, and then we have the rally on November 12 that is going to last from 10 a.m. to all the way to 3 p.m. Um, so yeah, it's a it, it's a campaign to basically bring attention to the issue, and also hopefully that this attention will uh, get it to the to the people who are going to make are going to be making decisions on the lives of 700,000 DACA recipients. Yeah, and I think. Even the name of the campaign says so much, right? Home is here. Like when we're talking about who this is supporting, uh, this is this is young people who have. Um, can you tell us a little bit more yeah. about like what's what is for people who maybe are sort of like okay, like I've heard of DACA. Uh, like what does who is a DACA recipient? Like what does that look like to me? Yeah, I mean, home is here. It's basically saying out loud that we belong right like we are part of here like i don't see myself in another place because the trump administration seems to think that daca recipients um, are somehow not americans or like they do not belong in this country and, and it's been from not only daca recipients and this has been for tps recipients for members of the lgbtq community for Muslim for our, our, our brother and sisters from the Muslim community. So it's basically letting not just them, but like Trump administration, everyone letting them know that this is home. Home is here. It's 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 so powerful just to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, part of the other, um, another way that people are drawing attention to what's going on right now is that there is a week of action that's going to be taking place coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and, you know, what's going to be happening happening during that week and how people can maybe get involved in that? Yeah. So as I said, uh, one of them is the walkouts on November 8th. Then we will be uh, driving DACA renewals. Like throughout that week, we will be pushing DACA renewals. Um, we're asking people, please support DACA recipients by donating 
the United Kingdom has uh, the DACA renewal fund, and as we have indicated, like the um, the renewals is almost five hundred dollars. Yeah. So we're pushing yeah. people into that. Um, we are making, we are trying to make the hashtag home is here uh, trend. Mm-hmm. So that week we're gonna have tweet storms, um, sharing this information publicly online. Uh, the and again like uh, the rallies and the actions throughout the country. So I think it's 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 a whole week that ends obviously in in, in the peaks. Um, on the hearing on November 12th. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So much going on. Um, Great. And then I think, you know, looking uh, towards the rest of the month, the other thing that's coming up in November is that Congress is going to need to pass a continuing resolution uh, by November 21st that's going to talk about funding or, or, and you know, we need to keep the government open. Um, So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what the, you know, appropriations look like um, right now and, and, you know, the defund hate movement is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, just what you guys are doing on, on that side. Well, yeah, I think it, it, it departs uh, from the idea that, you know, budgets reflect priorities. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen from this administration is that everything that it, that it deals with, education, health care, and everything that people need, we haven't seen cuts to those budgets. But everything that is in terms of weapons, in terms of, uh, you know, the jailing of uh, immigrant black and brown people uh their budgets have been going up right one trend one very dangerous trend is that um there is about 55,000 people immigrants who are who are in jail right now who are are in detention just because of being who they are or being immigrants and that number has increased a great deal it used to be less than 30,000 um the idea is that what has been enabling the federal government to detain people and violate their human rights is because they're getting money. If you don't have them, if they don't have the money, then there wouldn't be, um, you know, they would not have the resources to jail to put people in cages. Now, if you think about it, now another aspect of this is that. Money is re- is directly correlated to the abuses. They have more money, therefore you have more abuses. That what ICE, uh, CBP, what they say is that, oh yeah, we have a great crisis. We need more money. They keep asking for more money. The government gives them more money, and as a result, we see more violations of human rights. Right. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I'd read is um, actually adding more money to the problem is not making this problem better it's not improving the conditions uh it's worsening the abuses because it's expanding um in fact the number of people that ice is trying to detain um the the more money does has not equaled better conditions for people being detained for for may i make clear like no no reason and one thing what what's worse is that people are making there's people profiteering companies Mm -hmm. corporations making money out of this in, in the business mentality, of course, they're going to keep uh, costs low. Um, they don't even give them, like, toothpaste and stuff like that. Like, we've, we all have seen the reports from these facilities, and they get, they're making a lot of money out of immigrant detention. Yeah, and not just... Um I mean, when we're talking about reallocating money, I thought that point that you made mm-hmm. earlier was so 
important about uh, this administration's priorities, um, increasing military spending, um, increasing uh, funding for detention centers, while um, slashing left and right budgets elsewhere, uh, taking money away from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, um, and to, to fund some of these detention centers while we've got wildfires raging, while we've got hurricanes um, over the course of the past several months approaching um, several states in the southeast, uh, Florida, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands. Um, so <laughs> instead of funding the things um, that people desperately need, uh, this money is going instead um, to these detention centers. So yeah, I, I, the, the goals of the defund hate campaign are so important, um, hugely important. Yeah, I, I think like, um, you know, that's the loophole that's been being abused, right, by the, um, like, with the, even just though we're, we keep passing these CRs um, to kind of keep things where they wa- are, like, because FEMA, like, falls into the same kind of department area as ICE and all of them, they're able to do some kind of covert... Push money, money around. Yeah. 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 It's very disturbing. Um, but kind of tra- uh, transitioning into what people can do to fight some of this. Yeah. I mean, are, are there things that people can do to voice their opinion on appropriations and um, to say that they don't want their money and their taxpayer dollars going to ICE and to those kind of immigrant detention policies that are harming so many people? Yeah, uh, the involvement of people in DACA or even the appropriation process is, is, is key. Um, we've seen that it does work when you call your member of Congress, when you make that call and you tell them, like, I am not, like, I do not agree of you getting more, giving more money to ICE and CBP so they can, you know, use this money to abuse the rights of, of immigrants and children. That it That is not morally right. And when members of Congress, when elected officials hear this, like, they start to see what it is like that their own constituents are waking up. And it, it is key that we make this a priority because we have to switch, um, we have to switch the mentality, uh, mentality around immigration policy and the immigration uh, vision that like the, the vision on immigration that we have to have in the United States. Because for a long time, we have been told that you need to increase money for border security, for ICE, for CBP. That framework of giving them more money in exchange of relief. The Trump administration has been using that a lot. And where look where we are. We have seen the horrible, horrible things that has been happening at the border and in these detention facilities. So we have to switch that mentality and we have to think that, no, giving more money, giving more enforcement, giving Trump the wall is not going to make a difference. It's not going to move us forward. So we have just about a minute left here in our show. Um, we have been talking today to Juan, Man, Juan Manuel Guzman from United We Dream, uh, the advocacy and policy manager. Um, and Juan Manuel, if folks would like to find more information about you and the work that, that you uh, do, um, where can they find that information? Oh, well, see, if you want to uh, find more information about what we do, go to unitedwedream.org. You will be able to find everything related to DACA and everything that the work that we are doing. If you want to find information about me, <laughs> you can look uh, look um, on my Twitter profile. Um, I'm at underscore JM Guzman or J Guzman. Um, so, yeah, that's where you will be able to find it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Emily Leach. And we'll be right back. uh, Well, we'll be back next week to talk to you more. (laughs)